Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, My Hope is In. Today we'll go and see that our hope is in the mighty God. Take a moment to pause and pray, preparing your heart for today's service. We started last week this series called My Hope is In. My Hope is In. We said that hope for the believer is not wishful thinking, right? It's not just reckless emotion, right? It is, it is a hope and it's an anticipation and expectation that God is at work in our lives. And our hope is an anchor to our faith. Our hope is personified in Jesus Christ. When um, Mary became pregnant with, with Christ and Joseph found out, you know, the angel appeared to both of them. He told them what was going on. He told them that you are going to call this child Jesus. That's what the, that we translate it, Jesus. And you're going to call this child Jesus because it means the Lord saves. And the angel also told them that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, which went back to the words of the prophet Isaiah that said, unto us, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God was with us and God had come to save us. He had come to deliver us from the very root of our problem, the root of our issue, which was our separation from Christ in relationship with him. And Isaiah also prophesied that we would know this Messiah. We would know this Savior. We would know Emmanuel as four other names as well. We would know him as our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Last week we started, we looked at the aspect of knowing our God, knowing that our hope is in the one who is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the one that is beyond our understanding. Words cannot explain who he is. He's beyond our understanding. He is the one that has not only the wisdom to know the solution, he has the power to enforce the solution, right? That's our wonderful counselor. And we said that if we would just sit down with the wonderful counselor, if we would be honest with him and we would be honest with ourselves, and then we would desire for him to work and move in our life, even if he moves and works in the way we don't necessarily desire. And then we listen to him and we obey, obey him and follow his direction. Then we will find that the one who's beyond understanding will give us the wisdom that we need, the guidance that we need, the direction that we need, the strength that we need to get from where we are to where we need to be. Amen. That's our wonderful counselor and our hope is in him. Today, we're going to look, as you guessed, in our hope being in the mighty God, the mighty God. Have, have any of you ever had an aha moment in your life? Yeah? Now, in the phrase aha moment, that, you know, that phrase became popular back in uh, uh, late, uh, well, around 2009. But in 2012, it, it was one of the phrases of the year, according to Webster. It was listed as one of their phrases of the year, the aha moment. And... Uh, but in 2009, there was a legal dispute around the phrase, aha, moment. I don't know if you knew that or not. A legal dispute. Mutual uh, Insurance Company was using this in a slogan. And Harpo Productions, yes, Harpo, Oprah spelt backwards. Her production company told Mutual to cease and desist with the use of this in their, camp, in their ad campaign saying that Mutual was the... Uh, the originator and the, the source of your aha moment. And they said, you are not. The aha moment is synonymous with Harpo Productions. 
Oprah is the one who is the originator of your aha moment. She's the one that when you think aha moment, you think Oprah. How many of you think, no, don't raise your hand. You think Oprah when you think aha moment. But, and it's funny, Oprah was actually, when Webster listed this as their word of the year, they got Oprah to define it in a video on their website of what the aha moment was saying that an aha moment is a sudden inspiration, insight, recognition, or comprehension. Now in 2009, when all this was going on, New York Times listed an article. They, they wrote an article about this going on and about this fight that was taking place between these two companies. And they did some research and they found that AHA actually dated back to the early 1900s. 1908, they saw that the Oxford English Dictionary defined it from early German use. Early English phrases used it in the 1930s, basically meaning the same thing. But Oprah said, no, my definition's a little bit different. Of course it is, Oprah. We honor you. Uh, anyway... Um, so, uh, and they also said that it could even go back to the 1300s with Chaucer because Chaucer used it in some of, some of their writings. So, but I want to show you today that it goes back even to the Bible. I was, there, there's several places where a word is used that means basically the aha moment. And, but one in particular that I want to show us today is from Jeremiah chapter 32. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to go to Jeremiah 32. If you have your app or your phone, open it. And I, I encourage you to underline this verse, circle this verse, uh, highlight this verse, whatever you, you do. Jeremiah makes this proclamation. And he says, Ah, sovereign Lord. Ah, Lord God. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard. Nothing is too difficult for you. Your translation say, oh, may say, oh, Lord God. But the word from the Hebrew is a word you'll never guess how it's pronounced. Maybe you will. Aha. If you look up that word in, in the Hebrew and you do one of those little click on the little thing and let's, let them tell you what it sounds like, it's going to say, aha. See, Jeremiah is in this moment. This is somewhere in the 600s, 500s BC. Jeremiah is in this moment. He is making a decision. He is taking a big step of faith in this moment. If you read the whole chapter and, and in, the, in the context around the chapter, he is making a big leap of faith to do something. Something that some would look at and say, you're crazy for doing that. Something in his own mind, he may think to himself, I'm crazy for doing this. But as he begins to pray, he makes this declaration. Ah, aha, wait a minute, wake up, remember, our God is sovereign and he is mighty in power. He created the heavens and the earth. If he did that, nothing is too hard for our God. This was his aha moment. So my prayer today from this message is that we have this aha moment that we can stand and say, Oh, wait, 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 my God, (laughs) he's all powerful. Nothing's too difficult for him. He is sovereign over all. And I go back to last week. It's, it's, it's beyond my understanding. I can't understand. His ways are not my ways. It's mysterious for me, but I trust he's all powerful. And even though I can't understand how the, everything works and why everything goes the way it does, I, my, my hope is still in the one who is all powerful. 
and I'm going to stand in him. Now, I want, to, uh, I want to understand this a little more about Jesus as well by thinking of another phrase and looking at another phrase that Jesus was known as. Now, Jesus was known, he had a lot of, a lot of nicknames, I guess, so to speak. He, he was known in a lot of ways. But this phrase, it's a two-word phrase, it's three letters, and it goes all the way back to Moses. It was, it, it was, if you remember the story of Moses, Moses was born in a time when uh, Pharaoh was killing all the Hebrew boys. Moses' mom, scripture tells us, put him in a basket. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up growing up in Pharaoh's home. He ends up thinking he's an Egyptian, living as if he's Egyptian. But one day he has an aha moment that says, wait a minute, I'm not this. I am a Hebrew. He protects a fellow Hebrew and then he flees Egypt. For years, he's living as a shepherd, and one day he comes up on this bush that's doing something absolutely insane. It is on fire, Scripture tells us, but it's not being consumed, and you're like, what in the world's going on? So he walks, like any of us would probably do, walk up to it and see, what is this phenomenon? And then we see that God begins to speak to him through this and call Moses to his purpose. You're going to go, and you're going to be used to deliver the people who've been crying out to me from slavery. And so Moses asked God this question and he says, who should I tell them is sending me? By what authority am I going under? What name am I going under? And God looks or God speaks to him and he says, tell them I am who I am sent you. In other words, I, when you look at that, he's saying, I am before everything. I am beyond everything. I exist in everything. I stand over everything. I am. Whatever you need, I am. I am who I am. Now fast forward in your word to around John chapter 8. We see Jesus having this conversation with the Pharisees. Right? I encourage you to write John chapter 8 down and go back and read that chapter this week. Jesus is having this conversation with the Pharisees. Very interesting conversation. And it kind of starts with them going back to Abraham and and looking at Abraham and who they were in relation to Abraham. And Jesus is kind of challenging them on whether or not they truly are the descendants of Abraham. And they're getting frustrated with Jesus because they're they're saying, you know, they don't want to believe him. And Jesus is saying, if you were truly, you know, descendants of Abraham, you would believe the words I'm saying. You would realize I am who, uh, who I'm talking about, that I'm God. You would realize everything that I am saying is true. You would hold on to it. They don't like what he's telling them. And so, you know, they, they basically, he ends up telling them, well, you're not a descendant of Abraham. Your, your father is the devil. <laughs> and he tells them, you, your father is a murderer and the father of all lies. Well, of course, this, it ticks them off. I mean, let's just be honest. It gets them really angry. And so they then call Jesus demon-possessed. Well, now we know you're demon-possessed. Our father is Abraham. And then Jesus says, no, I am not demon-possessed. And he's not your father. And in fact, I know Abraham. This is kind of the sense of what Jesus, this is the gist is what Jesus is saying. He's like, I hung out with Abraham before I got here. And he knew about this moment. He was excited to see this moment happen. And then they get like all crazy. Who, now we know you're demon-possessed. Now we know you're loony. Now, because you're not even 50 years old, basically. They tell me, you're not old enough to know who Abraham was. Who in the world are you? Who do you think you are? 
And then Jesus makes this statement, John chapter 8, verse 58. Look at what he says. He says, very truly, I tell you, or as Dr. Tony Evans would translate it, he would say, show enough, show enough, I tell you. Uh, for my Gen Z people, what Jesus is saying is no cap, no cap, all right? For my Gen Z. He says, I tell you, before Abraham was born, what does he say? I am. Now you keep reading, you find out that the, this really got them going. Because they picked up some stones and they were ready. This is Jesus' time. They already wanted him dead. Well, your time is now. They're picking up stones. They're getting ready to stone him. Because they understand what he is saying. But Jesus is like the original James Bond. He sluices his way out and he's gone before anything happens. (laughs) See, the Bible's fun to read. Y'all got to read the Bible. (laughs) But they are upset because they know what he's exclaiming. They know exactly what he was saying. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's what God told Moses. I am. Because the word he says there, he's saying, I am beyond. I am ahead of. I am after. I am within. I am existent. I stand upon. I am. He could have looked at them and just kept their confusion going and said, before Abraham was, I was. He didn't say I was. He said, I am. Because he knew it put him and it related him to exactly who he was. He was the mighty God that Isaiah had prophesied about who would be called the the mighty God who had come to deliver us. See, there's seven different times that Jesus expounded on this I am. And I want us to very quickly, don't, don't get nervous, all right? Let's very quickly look at these all through, through the book of John, the I am statements of Jesus. So we can see who our hope is in, the mighty God, the great I am, and who he, who he is to us. In John chapter 6, he made this statement. He said, I am the bread of life. He reminds them of the bread that came from Moses. And he tells them that that bread was from God. And he said that that bread that sustained your physical life He said, I am the bread that sustains your spiritual life. That gives you everything you need for this life. Our hope is in the one who is our nourishment and substance of life. Of everything we need. He is our bread of life. In John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, John, when he began his book that we read, he writes these words. He says, in the beginning was the Word And the word was with God and the word was God. He's talking about Jesus and he goes on and says that this word became a light in our darkness. And when he says these words, it would go back to the words of the psalmist that says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, Jesus, our hope is in the one who illuminates the path we need to lead us from dark to light. To lead us from where we are to where we need to be. Our hope is brighter in Christ. (laughs) He is the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he continued the metaphor saying, or or in John chapter 10, he said, I am the gate. He's the one that, he's he's the entrance to eternal life. He is our freedom. And he is the one that gives us rest. Like the sheep who find rest in the pasture through the gate. The gate is also there for the sheep to provide provision and protection from predators who want to come in and attack the sheep. There is no open way for them to come in. He's the gate that protects. He's the gate that 
takes care of us. He's the gate. It's the gate is also where he, the shepherd leads the sheep out of the pasture to go find new fields to graze and find where they need to be to fulfill the purpose that they have. And he's the one that leads them back into that very pasture so that they can lay and they can rest. Our hope for these things, our hope for protection, our hope for peace, our hope for uh, fulfillment, our hope for rest, they're found in the I am, the mighty God. He continued that metaphor in John chapter 10 saying, I am, I am the uh, good shepherd. In other words, we get to know him because the sheep know the shepherd. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. The sheep understand, and the shepherd knows them. The shepherd knows them intimately. If you go to a, a, a place, a farm where someone has sheep, they can sit there and name those sheep by name. And you can look at them and say, how in the world? Do you know that sheep's name? Because they know the sheep. They spend time with the sheep. They're with the sheep. They know them intimately. And those sheep are dependent, just like we sang about just a moment ago. Those sheep are dependent upon their shepherd. Because the shepherd is the one that's going to lead them to where they need to go to graze. To survive. If that sheep falls in a hole or falls over on their back and can't get back over, the shepherd picks them up and puts them back on track. If the, if the wool on the sheep gets too heavy to carry, the shepherd is the one that shears them and relieves the burden that he's carrying. If, two, if, two, if sheep get in a battle with each other and they're butting heads, the shepherd is the one that restores order. The shepherd is the one that brings comfort and brings peace. All our hope for those things are in the I am, the mighty God. In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. This happened in a conversation between Martha and Jesus after Lazarus had, had died. And Martha is telling Jesus, Jesus, I know that we will all one day rise again on that last day. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, Martha, you've got the information but you need to take the information you have and work the information through me and make it relational, make it personal. Don't just let it be information because if it's information, it's not going to do anything. We have to take the information through Christ. And Jesus tells them and Jesus shows her in that moment. I am not the God that one day will be. I am the God that is right now. Our hope is not in the I will be one day. Our hope is in the I am right now the mighty God. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way that leads us to where we need to go. He is the one that guides us. He is our, he, he is our restoration with the creator to bring us back into relationship with him. He is our way to eternal life. He is the way to us living our life now. He is the standard by which we live. And Jesus Christ is not just a truth. He is the truth. Our hope is not just in a truth because when our hope is in a truth, guess what? That truth is probably going to change down the road and we're going to have a new a truth. Our hope is in the truth that does not change. That is the same every day, day after day after day. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I want to go back last week. I referenced 
this miracle that Jesus performed. When his earthly mother, Mary, looked at the people around him and said, go with him and do whatever he tells you to do. That miracle was when Jesus turned water into wine. And I want us to think about that that miracle. The process of making wine takes a long time. It grows from a vine. The grapes grow from a vine. But you have to take time to prep the soil and get that ready for the vine. It takes time for the vine to grow and do all that it needs to do to grow. It takes time to prune the vine, to get the branches where they need to be to produce the grapes. It takes time to pick and collect the grapes. It takes time to get the juice from the grapes. It takes time to ferment the juice from the grapes to create the wine. That doesn't just happen like that. John said the word he used, this was a miraculous sign that showed those who were there that Jesus Christ, who was who he was, he was the I am. He was the mighty God. Jesus Christ was not bound by time. Jesus Christ was not bound by the things that binds us as man. He was above that. He was over that. He was before it. He's beyond it. And he exists in it. He is the great I am. And in that moment, which so fittingly happened at a marriage feast, which is a relation to to Christ and, and the church, his bride, he creates this and he says, what you're looking for in that vine is what you should be looking for in this vine. What you get from this vine, what you get from this vine is not just an escape. What you get from this vine is not just something that, that can make you forget about what's good and what's bad down the road. This, what's in this vine is something that will never run out. I am the true vine, he says. And, and then in that time and in that passage in John chapter 15, he tells him, I'm the true vine. He says, abide in me. Because it's in the vine, it's in the vine that every nutrient, every life-giving drop of water, everything that that branch needs comes from the vine. And as long as the branch is attached to the vine and it gets what it needs to get from the vine, then the branch will produce. So not only is our hope in the true vine who gives us the life we need, our hope is in the one who produces through us hope for others. Because you understand fruit does not exist for the benefit of itself. Fruit exists for the benefit of others. A fruit that only exists for itself will rot. I don't want to just be a display. People can buy plastic fruit and put on their table for display. God, let me be a fruit that brings hope to others through Christ, the one who my hope is in. But that's our hope in the I am. When our hope is in the I am, that's what our hope can do. So why does our hope waver in life? It's because we're putting our hope in the things which are not meant to be our hope. Whether our hope is in ourselves, our hope is in our own ability to, to obtain, to do, to get, to have. Our hope is in someone else. Our hope is in some organization. We're putting our hope in that which is not. 
right? We're putting our hope in, in, in that which is not meant to be the center of everything. We're putting our hope into that which is not the creator. We're putting our hope into that which is not the solution. We're putting our hope into that which is not all-knowing. We're putting our hope into that which is, does not hold, hold it all together. But when we put our hope in the I am, in Jesus, we put our hope in the one who is the center of everything. We put our hope in the one who is over all things, the creator of all things. We put our hope in the one who sustains all things. We put our hope in the one who is the solution for all things. The all-knowing, immeasurable, inexhaustible, the great I am, the mighty God. So who are we putting our hope in? Where are we putting our hope? If our hope is wavering, maybe we need to say, is my hope in the I am? As As we wrap it up, I want us to look at something very important at the end of John or near the end of John. You can go there. It's John chapter 18. You know, John has a little bit different description of the arrest of Jesus than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about how Judas approached Jesus in the, gar- in, in the garden and kissed him on his cheek. And this was the sign that Jesus was the one that they were to arrest. John shows us more of the conversation that takes place around the arrest. All right, I want us to look at it because it's so powerful. John chapter 18, and it, and it just, it, it shows the beauty of John's writing as well, of how he relates everything together. John 18, sorry, verse three, it says, the leading priest and Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. Now Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him, So he stepped forward to meet them and he asked, who are you looking for? Now, it could be in this moment that G- Judas walks up as well. Maybe this is the time that he kisses Jesus on the cheek. And we see Matthew, Mark and uh, Luke's words where Jesus, Jesus looked at Judas and said, go ahead and do what you need to do, what you came to do. Go ahead and do that. And then he looks at the Roman guards and he says, who have you come to get? And in verse five, they say, Jesus, the Nazarene. And what does he say? I am he. John, the only one that wrote about Jesus speaking to himself as the I am in all those ways, made sure to put in this moment that he expressed it at the arrest and said, I am. But look at what happens because he doesn't just end there. He says, as Jesus said, I am he they all drew back and fell to the ground. And then Jesus looks at them one more time and he says, who did you come to get? Gosh, I wish I could see this moment. Because I don't think any movie could ever demonstrate it. The power that was in that moment, as John wrote about, when he looked at them and he says, I am. 
and they could not stand in his presence. What's coming against you cannot stand in the presence of the great I am. See, the best time to experience and understand the greatness of God is in a moment of chaos and confusion. The bad thing about problems is they're problems. The good thing, the bright side about problems is we are a candidate for a miracle. And for God to work and for God to move. But here's a very important note that we need to understand and we need to see. They couldn't stand in the presence of the I am. But the arrest still happened. Why? Because there was a bigger picture that needed to unfold. And even Jesus himself in John 17, we see him praying, God, take this from me if it be your will. And then Peter would remember this moment and he would write about it. First Peter chapter two, we see it in verse 23. He says, he, didn't, he did not retaliate when he was insulted or threaten revenge when he suffered. What does it say he did? He left his case in the hands of God. His hope stayed in the one who was over all, who always judges fairly. And then what does he go on to say? He says, he personally carried our sin in his body. This is the bigger picture on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds. You're healed. In verse 25, he says, he goes back to the good shepherd. (laughs) He says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. And Peter would go on and he would say, and he would talk about the suffering that they have to face. And he would explain to them that, that, you know, you may suffer, but your suffering has a bigger picture to unfold with it. Paul puts it in words that, that maybe kind of relate to us even more because we may not necessarily be persecuted. But Paul says that, you know, he prayed several times for God to remove what was a thorn in his side. We don't know what that was. It could have been a sickness. It could have been a person that kept annoying him. It could have been all kinds of things. But Paul said this, he said, I prayed for God to remove that, but God didn't take it away. What he told me was this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he used these words. He said, in your weakness, my power is displayed. So we can say, God, I don't understand. I don't know. I don't get it. But my hope is still in the great I am, the mighty God. Ah, Lord God, you are sovereign. You are over all. You are before, you are after, you are within, you stand over it all. You created the heavens and the earth by your mighty power with your outstretched arm. And there is nothing that is too difficult for you. So God, my hope is in you, the one who can. And my trust is in you, no matter what you decide. Because that hope anchors my faith. And that's hard and that's difficult. 
but we trust in the great I am. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.